Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to your word. We thank you that by the help of your spirit, it is clear to us. We pray that your spirit would be moving amongst us to to guide and to lead us into all truth. And Lord, both for preacher and hearer alike, we pray that we would submit to your word. We would embrace what you what you mean by fellowship, not by what we understand it to be. And Lord, we pray that through the riches of the scriptures, we would be encouraged to have deep fellowship with you and with each other in the life of each of our churches. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how is koinonia, fellowship used in the Bible? What does fellowship look like? I'm just going to mention these passages, and if you're, if you're into taking notes, write them down so you can look at them later. But there are a number of passages that use the word koinonia, the word fellowship, and, and they will give to us a slightly different perspective to our understanding of fellowship. In 1 Corinthians 10.16... 1 Corinthians 10.16, it uses the word fellowship in the context of the Lord's Supper and communion. And the way it's used there gives us a sense that fellowship is something that is solemn. It's serious. It's not simply mixing at a cocktail party. It's not just having tea and coffee. The word fellowship is linked with fellowship with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans 15.26 and 2 Corinthians 9.13, fellowship there is used in a slightly different way again. Fellowship or koinonia is used in the context of contributing, donating, providing materially for the poor. It's tangible. It's generous. It's a material offering. Koinonia, there's some sort of transfer. There's some sort of support, material support. In Philippians 3, verse 10, the word fellowship there is used in that we as believers share in, have fellowship in the sufferings of of Christ. Fellowship there reminds us that in our union with Jesus, we will encounter suffering in our daily walks. Now, when I go on holidays, I make it a point to visit churches every Lord's Day. I don't take a holiday from the worship of God. And I'd encourage everyone, when you go on holidays, find a good church to worship in. And when I go there as a pastor, I pick up the bulletin or the handouts I have, and I want to see what the church is involved in. What are they engaged in? What takes up their time? Pick up the welcome pack. It's great. Nice pictures various meetings throughout the week in the month ahead. But you know what? I have never seen fellowship described as solemn, serious, or sacrificial. Have you? You know, they give the announcements, they give the advertisements, and they say, we're going to have some fellowship. Does it ever strike you as being something solemn, serious, or sacrificial? Because that's what all of those verses refer to. Fellowship are those things. 
Is that your understanding of fellowship? It may not be. For a long time, I, did, I didn't have that understanding of fellowship. Is that how you as a church, is that how we as a church advertise our fellowship gatherings? Now, if you know anything about our church at Stanmore, I have nothing against men's barbecues, social outings, women getting together, having a good time together. I, I, I'm, I, I don't want to downplay any of those things. Kitchen teas, clothes swaps, they're all great. But if the primary aim of fellowship in the church is just to have a good time, a social event, a social gathering, then I think we're missing the point of what biblical fellowship is. Because biblical fellowship, what we're deeply rooted in, what we partake in and share in, is solemn, it's sincere, sacrificial. Now why will it be those things? Why should biblical fellowship be solemn, sincerious, Solemn, serious, and sacrificial. Well, the first thing I want to say is biblical fellowship begins with God. As you walk into Dremoyne Baptist, into the, into the entrance there on my left, there is a placard, right? It's a placard you should all know. Let's, if you, if you don't know, turn to 1 John 1 3, because that's what's on your church wall. 1 John 1, 3. I'm reading from the ESV, but whatever version you're reading from, it will say something like this. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have koinonia with us. And indeed, our koinonia is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Dremoyne Baptist Church proclaims the gospel that the people out there would have fellowship with God the Father. And that they would have fellowship with you. Fellowship, you see, is rooted in, is anchored in our relationship with God. Why is this a big deal? Why am I starting with fellowship with God? Well, we all have a natural affinity. We all have natural fellowship with the world. Scriptures remind us that we, by nature, are children of wrath. Our natural allegiance, apart from the grace of God, is to love this world, to love this life. Does anyone here ever have to try to work themselves up to be angry? Anyone here really have to focus and work hard so that they might lust or be tempted or or be very loose with the truth? No, these things come to us naturally. And whether it's anger or lust or being deceitful, these traits naturally divide. They they cause pain, they cause separation. And so in 1 John 1.3, John's words are, 
what we've seen, what we've heard, we proclaim to you also. Well, what, what's, what's John seen? What's he heard? John has just spent time with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he's talking about is Jesus' person, attested to by his miracles, his teaching, his words. And he's proclaiming Jesus to these hearers, just as he did in his gospel. He wants them to believe in Jesus Christ, because that's the only way. It's the only way to break fellowship with the world. We need to have a greater love because our natural love for the things of this world, it seems like love, but ultimately it's a bondage. We're trapped and we need rescuing. We need rescuing from that love for the world. And it's only by knowing Jesus, not knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus, knowing that he is the Son of God, truly God, taking on true flesh and laying down his life for our sins, for your sins. It's only knowing this Jesus that breaks us, breaks our fellowship with the world and transfers us into the kingdom of light. So my first question is, do you know this Jesus? Because everything else I say after this is dependent on you knowing Jesus knowing him savingly as Lord and Saviour. You can have as much fun and, as it were, fellowship with those around you, but it's a temporal thing unless you know. And what I mean by temporal, it's only in this life. But if you want fellowship with all the saints for all eternity, you have to bow your knee willingly, by God's grace, to the Lord Jesus. Have you repented of your sins Do you know the forgiveness of God? Are you enjoying fellowship with God today? Second thing I want to note is, if we have fellowship with God, if you know the true and living Trinitarian God, then that is going to bring you into fellowship with other saints. Sure, there may you, you've just been praying for your missionaries. There may be circumstances when saints are sent out into the world to plant churches, to preach the gospel. They may be the only Christians in that location because they are serving for gospel purposes. There are those exceptions. But generally speaking, just like in the children's talk, remember the oil and the water, the oil and the the vinegar? You can shake it up. They can be mixed for a while. But the law of nature separates those two, doesn't it? But when the Spirit of God works, he separates God's people from the world. That's a natural consequence of being born again. Biblically, holy things stick together because the Spirit of God is working amongst them. And that's why Christians, every Christian, should be a part of a local church. 
And I'm not just talking about attending a local church. That's a good thing. It's a great thing. But the best thing, the biblical thing, is not just attending a church, but being a member, committing to one another. That's what biblical fellowship is. And you know, people say, oh, that sounds so burdensome, sounds so difficult. Commitment, accountability. No, a true Christian, I say that genuinely, a true Christian shouldn't find fellowship with other saints a burden. When I shook up that bottle, those things aren't struggling to get, they can't wait to get back together. The oil wants to get back with the oil, the, the, the balsamic vinegar wants to get back to where its family is. If as a Christian, if as a professing Christian you struggle to be with the saints, that reveals something about where your heart is at. Who do you enjoy spending more time with? The world or God's people? You know, if someone told me, I love various sports, if someone told me they supported a particular team, say rugby league, rugby union, they, they say they love that team and that team gets together every week locally to play a game. They say, but, but they find it hard to go. It's, it's a bit of a chore. It's a bit of a burden. What would you say? It doesn't make sense in, in the realms of sporting arena or if, you, if it was a rock band or a music group that you follow. You, say, you tell me you love that group. You love that band, but you can't... I really struggle to to catch up with them. Your words and your deeds do not match up. And the Bible says, there's a word for that. You're you're a hypocrite. Now, Christians ought to delight in spending time together because we no longer belong to the world. Sure, we have to work there. Sure, we have to study there. Sure, we have to live in the world. We're not to to live in a cave. That's that's, that's not the... I don't want you to get that from from my message. No, we, we need to live and serve and witness to the world. But who we spend our time with preferentially, who we prioritize, that's going to reveal where our heart is. So firstly, do you have fellowship with God, the true and living God? Have you repented of your sins and come to the Lord Jesus? That's one. The second point is, do you have fellowship with one another? Are you part of a local church? Are you a member of a local church? The third thing now is, okay, I have fellowship with God. I'm part of a local church. What will fellowship look like in the local church? And I have a number of uh, sub-points here, and I'm going to go through them relatively quickly. What does fellowship look like in a healthy church? The first thing I'm going to suggest is that we must be present. We must be physically present. There may be times, of course, when we are kept away 
from the people of God. There, there are times when we're sick. There, there are times when there are genuine emergencies. Of course, that's, that's what life in a fallen world is like. There are things that, that happen. But the regular pattern for fellowship is being physically together. So let's turn to Acts 2. And let's read this passage together, 42 through to 47. And they, that is the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs, the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There are times in the modern church where we say, man, we've got everything right. But then, then there are times when everyone says, I wish it was just like the early church. Well, what was it like in the early church? Did they just turn up to church once a week? Sunday morning? Check in? Have their fellowship over morning tea, then check out? Is, is that how you read the scriptures? Read it as many times as you want. That is not the picture we are given about the early church. You know, today when I speak to various pastors, they say... Man, our people struggle to get to church week by week. I said, our regulars, I said, how do you define a regular? For some pastors, they define regular as people coming to their church twice a month. That's on their regular role. Why is that? Is it because everyone's at home listening to podcasts and listening to their... Uh, Things on sermonaudio.com? Reading their books at home? Maybe. I doubt it. Now what we have today in the modern church is people love the world so much that they are forsaking the gathering of the saints. When we read Acts 2.42, they were present daily with one another. Now, you might be saying, he's, he's lost the plot. Do you think we, we're actually going to gather together daily? You could. How about first committing just to the regular weekly meetings, the weekly gatherings? Are there people in, are there missing people in the church this week? And of course, again, there, there are those circumstances that might be because people are unwell. Um, but are there people who ought to be here but aren't here because they're just doing other things? Lesser things. 
Was it you last week or is it you next week? I hope it's not next week or the following week or the following week after that. Because the biblical model is regularly spending time together. But not just Sundays. Maybe you have an opportunity to gather during the week. A midweek study. Midweek fellowship. Men's, women's, Bible study. I don't, I don't know how you, you structure church. But you get a sense that the people of God in Acts 2 loved God's word and loved each other so much they couldn't get enough of it. Whereas when I go around visiting churches, it's kind of like church is the crumbs off the table. I prioritise work, I prioritise family, my social schedule. I will do all of that, my hobbies, my interests. I've got a time for all of that. But church and the things of God, it's the crumbs that have fallen off the table. If that's your approach to church, if that's my approach to church, then we have veered from, moved away from, the model that we have in Scripture. Did you notice also, in verse 46, and day by day attending the temple, so they're going to the temple daily, and breaking together, breaking bread in their homes. When was the last time you had someone from your church in your home? How far back in the calendar? Biblical hospitality. That's a call. You know, there's a lot being said about opening up your homes to foreigners and strangers. That's true. That's a good thing. But fellowship starts with the household of God. So when was the last time you had someone in your home? Times may be tough. You may not be able to put on a four-course meal. I'm, I'm sure people aren't expecting that. Put on the kettle, grab a couple of tea bags, some instant coffee. If you haven't had someone in your home from your church recently, and dare I say, do you plan? We plan to have everyone in our church through our home in any given year. It's not just because I'm the pastor. It's because I'm a Christian. And I'm not serving a church with 500 people. It's 52 weeks in the year. 365 days a year. And you see, the thing is, if you can't show fellowship and hospitality to the saints, you're not going to do it to strangers, are you? We're to use our homes for gospel ministry because that's what Acts 2 says. And you see, the thing is, in our day and age, in our individualistic society, we either keep ourselves from the church or we keep the church from outside of our things. And that's not the picture we have in Acts 2. They had everything together. Second thing, we must, so the first thing, we must be present, physically available, make our homes available. 
Now, I trust you get the sense not just once a week. Throughout the week, you ought to be looking for opportunities to spend time with one another. Second thing is, it is God-centered. Fellowship must be Christ-centered. Can you imagine going to um, a cricket club and all they talked about was the Football World Cup or house prices in Sydney or the latest restaurants being opened down the road? The cricket club. But they never talked about the ashes. They never talked about the, uh, you know, the big bash. They never actually talked about cricket. You say, what type of cricket club is this? Well, isn't that true sometimes of our conversations in church? We might be in the same building. We might actually be in each other's homes. We might be having a cup of tea next door. But if I was a fly on the wall, how many of those conversations would have God as the centre of it? I won't tell you who came third between Belgium v England. You know, it's, I'm not going to tell you what's happening, whatever sporting leagues around the world. But you know, the funny thing is, you may have heard God's word preached by Joel or someone else, and boom, as soon as that closing song benediction is given, where they're talking about anything and everything but God and the gospel. Is this what we see in Acts 2? That's not what we see in Acts 2. They're devoted to the apostles' doctrine. That's the heart of the fellowship. They taught about who Jesus was, about his work of salvation. Now, by all means, let's talk about what's happening in our families, the struggles with work, the frustrations of being unemployed, our health concerns. They are legitimate things to talk about. But if God is not part and parcel of that, we're ministering the gospel to each other that we're really no different to the cricket club that talks about anything and everything, but the core thing that draws them together. Now, biblical fellowship, our partnership, our sharing with one another has to be in God and his gospel. When you do have a cup of tea, let's see how long it takes for you to start talking about God or how, how quickly it takes to veer off talking about something else. See, the funny thing is, has it ever struck you why you struggle sharing the gospel with unbelievers? Well, if you're not comfortable talking about the gospel with believers, what hope do we have of sharing the gospel with those who are opposed to it? If we're too embarrassed about speaking about the things of God with our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, help us. God help us. The third thing I'm going to mention is fellowship is costly. It's sacrificial. Let's read verse 45 of Acts 2. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is the part of the sermon where you think Mike's going to get a red bandana going to start addressing everyone by the title comrade and the message goes off to socialism communistic uh, message no 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 this isn't where we diverge 
What do we do with verse 45 in the modern church? We don't have time to digress. This isn't a verse that you would go to for socialism. There are good reasons why that's not the case. I do believe in personal belongings and private property. That's all good and proper. But what this verse tells us is that the early church practically cared for one another. They practically cared for one another with the limited means that they had. Today's generation, by any measure, is far more prosperous than generations in the last 100, 200 years, 500 years, 2,000 years, and especially in the Western church. We are a very prosperous people and a prosperous generation. But with that prosperity hasn't come generosity. Here, they sold what little they had. Why? Because the brethren were in need. They were in material need. Have you ever sold anything so that you would take those proceeds and give it to a brother or sister in need. Or maybe you've given something to someone else because they are in need. You might say, well, look, Mike, they didn't have the welfare state. They didn't have a social uh, security uh, safety net like we do in Australia. There's, There's no need for that, really? This picture here all of a sudden terminates because there's a a welfare state. We are not absolved of these things simply because people may have opportunities elsewhere. When my hand accidentally touches a hot item, like the kettle or uh, an oven that's been left on, what does the rest of the body immediately do? Every fibre and sinew moves that hand away. Another part of it comes and puts an ice pack, turns on the tap, runs water on it. The body ministers to the body. There are needs in my church, and so I suspect there are needs in this church here. Would people in your church be comfortable asking for assistance? Why or why not? We had a situation where a family went through some financial strain recently. Some significant financial strain. It's through no fault of their own, not through mismanagement, nothing like that. <laughs> there are those circumstances where you go, you want more money? That's, there are reasons to say no in some circumstances. But it was a wonderful testimony to the gospel 
when other families and other individuals said, we're going to help out here. And it reminded me of Acts 2. When you get a chance, read Romans 15, 26. 2 Corinthians 9, 13. Because there, there were contributions, there were koinonia, there was fellowship for the poor. Genuine fellowship is costly, it's expensive. If it's cheap, it's probably like those fake handbags at the local markets. The third thing, oh sorry, the fourth thing is biblical fellowship is inclusive. Now that's a loaded word these days. But what I have in mind is some churches, and I'm mindful of particularly church startups or church plants, I say, we're going to target young professionals between 18 to 35 living in this part of the city. I have no problem, I've got a lot of problem with all of those statements except the living in this part of the city. You see, that sort of approach is just straight out of the marketing textbook of Procter & Gamble or Unilever. It's just marketing market segmentation that's but if you look at verse 44 do you get a sense of how old they were or what ethnic group they came from or what they did for work or their level of education what's it say in verse 44 of acts 2 it says and all who believed were together and had all things in common we must be careful not to follow the ways of the world, to slice and dice, to segment churches according to age, lifestyle, ethnicity, or any other measure. I dare you. I dare you to go check out half a dozen church websites, and especially those with multiple services, and see how this is playing out. Some of you are nodding and smiling because you know what I mean. You see, the gospel breaks down barriers. It broke down that barrier between us and God, and then it's meant to break down barriers between different peoples. So it's encouraging to me to see people here of all ages, from different backgrounds, because that's what the gospel is meant to do. Biblical fellowship is inclusive in the sense that it brings Different people together under one banner, and that is Jesus Christ is Lord. If you have fellowship just within a little micro group, that's, that's like a sect, that's like a club. And you know what, in, in a church like this, and I know it's not necessarily a large church, there can be certain people that you just enjoy spending time with. You can have a church within a church. And so can I encourage the older to spend time with the younger, the younger with the older? Those that you wouldn't naturally spend time with, spend time with one another because that's what the gospel is meant to do, bring us all together. Then the fifth and final point here is biblical fellowship is devoted. We must be devoted to it. 
Verse 42 says, well, before we read verse 42, I'm sure you've seen slogans out there that we are a gospel preaching church. We are a church focused on preaching. And absolutely, that has to be right up there front and centre. Then some churches will go the extra mile and say, we're a church also that's devoted to prayer. I know in this church, you say, we've got a specific meeting just for prayer. So do we, and that's a good thing. But the natural outworking of all of this is, as a church, you ought to be, we ought to be devoted to fellowship as well. We're not, you shouldn't be a transactional church. We come together, we transact, we do business, then we go our separate ways. You're part of a body, you spend time together, you love spending time together, even those that you disagree with. Because the gospel forces us to deal with those issues, to love one another. We're no different to the world if we just self-organise around the people just like us, just like me. And that's not... That's not a powerful witness to the world. No, we must be devoted to fellowship because it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The word devoted there means earnest towards, persevering in, constantly working towards, being diligent in. Fellowship takes time, it takes effort, requires our constant attention. It requires planning. But can I encourage you, if you have your calendar in a, in a, you know, in a written calendar, in a book, if you've got it in your phone, if you've got it in, in, on a computer, I don't know, in the cloud somewhere, in the next month, It's a given that you're going to be here at 10 o'clock every Sunday, right? It's a given. What other things are you going to devote yourself to? Are you going to open up your homes? Are you going to arrange to catch up with someone, not to talk about the sport, but to talk about God's word and the kingdom? Are you going to go to that Bible study or that men's meeting or that women's meeting that you said you're going to go to, but you just haven't had time? Mind you, you've had time for everything else, just not that. Are you going to? How will people, how will the world know that we are his, that we are God's people? Will they know because, you know, we find out when the next anti-whaling ship is leaving Darling Harbour and we jump on board and join with the causes of the world, tie ourselves to a big tree and say we're against deforestation or you know marching down the street for some left-wing cause? Because that's what the world wants to see. But what the world needs to see is that we love one another. That's going to have practical ramifications for each of our churches. It's not just that we say we love one another. You can't stand spending time with one another. 
if you can spend lots of time with other people, but not with one another. And individually, as families, as churches, we have to ask hard questions. Let me wrap up with what we've gone through. We've started off with saying fellowship, whatever our view of fellowship is, we need to recalibrate back to what scriptures have to say. If you just look up your phone, look up the word fellowship, look at the number of times it says one another in scripture, it's astounding. But first, God brings us into fellowship with himself after breaking our fellowship with darkness. Secondly, we, having done that, we're going to want to spend time with one another. And then thirdly, in the life of your church, in the life of my church, in the life of every true church, we're going to be physically present. Either here, in Dremoyne, or in our homes, we're going to be physically present. Then when we're together, we're going to be talking about God. Secondly, our conversation may involve family, work issues, health issues, but God is going to be there. He's not going to be absent. He's invited to that conversation. At times, fellowship is going to be costly. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you emotion. That's just a drop in the bucket compared to what it costs God to bring us into his family. Fourthly, it's going to be inclusive. You're going to invite, I trust, may, why not get it through it in a year, maybe in two or three years. Work through your membership. Get everyone through your homes. You're going to include everyone. You're going to have kids in your homes that might ooh, put the vases up higher just in case. Ball games outside. Uh, it will be inclusive. And finally, we're going to be devoted to it. We're going to be devoted to the fellowship, the apostles' doctrine. Don't be a church loving doctrine, but forsaking one another. That's a disconnect. Friends, I hope that you have seen that when the Lord Jesus brings us into his family opens out the door and we walk in and we see all these crazy people saved from all sorts of backgrounds, that we have a common story to share with one another. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And whatever differences we have in background, at the end of the day, they're very secondary to what Christ has done for us. So we ought to, we ought to want to spend time talking with one another, sharing these things, encouraging one another to keep looking to our Saviour. I know after the service the kettle will be boiling and some hot beverage will be shared, but I trust and I pray that our fellowship increasingly becomes more and more biblical. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we... Thank you for the fellowship that we have with you. It's nothing that we've earned, but received because of your grace and mercy to us. Father, forgive us for the times when we are selfish, when all we want to do is spend time with ourselves and the things that we like, and we forsake the gathering of the saints. 
Lord, help us to love you, to love our neighbours, to love our church family, to love our neighbours, to be sacrificial in our service and in our ministry. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures that give us a rich, a complete, a true picture of fellowship. And we pray that by your spirit, the church here in Des Moines and in Stanmore and in every place where the gospel is preached would more and more reflect your ways. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.